Romans uh, there in front of you. So last week we began this new series um, in Romans, the greatest letter ever written. And uh, we said that this letter is all about the gospel of God. Well, as Paul begins in verses 1 through 7, he is eager to bring gospel greetings to these Christians in Rome. From the very get-go, he wastes no time, he wastes no words, he wants to introduce himself, but above all, he wants to introduce his message, the, the message that he's been given to proclaim, the gospel. And so in uh, the first opening verses, that's exactly what Paul does, and I want us just to work our way through them this evening. Now, now you know that when we send emails to one another, not write letters uh, today, we, we will begin them by saying, Dear Jack, I hope you're well. And then we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the, the main contents of the email, and then we'll sign off warmly. Andy, kind words. Well, in the first century, when someone wrote a letter, the format was slightly different. It would begin by saying, Andy, to Jack. Grace and peace to you. Then I'd fill in the main content, so the email or the letter, and then sign off in the first century. Grace and peace to you. And if you read through the New Testament, that, that's exactly what you see. For the most part, they all follow that pattern. But here in Romans, Paul does something slightly different. He has a, a more elaborate introduction. Remember, he's never visited the church in Rome. He, he's keen, yes, to introduce himself, but, but more than that, he's, he's keen to introduce them to the gospel of God. The message that he has been called to proclaim. Verses 1 through 7 in the original are, are just one sentence. One run-on sentence. 93 words in the Greek. It's like Paul just wants to quickly spew this out. Guys, I'm Paul. But you guys need to hear the gospel. And then he'll give gospel greetings. So, so we're going to look at three things this evening. The man, the message, and then his gospel Greetings as he concludes in verse 7. Let's look at the man. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Earlier this week, I was at a conference, a Christian conference. And it struck me that there's this pattern developing at Christian conferences. I think it's come from America. It doesn't feel native to Britain. But what happens is when, when the speaker is introduced, inevitably... Uh, the one introducing them will extol all their, the, all the speaker's academic credentials and qualifications, make mention of all of their writings and their accomplishments, take ages talking about their so-called success in ministry. And I, I find it rather strange that a Christian would need such an introduction. Here's Paul's introduction. Paul. A slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Three things. 
his master, his office, his purpose. Our ESV translations opt for the, the polite term servant. But you, the, in the original, it's, the word is doulos. And, and there is a difference between a, a bond servant and a slave. Paul here says he's a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, this would have had an immediate resonance with his readers. Because a large proportion of Rome's population, and indeed the Roman Empire's population, were slaves, with masters. And Paul introduces himself by saying that he's a slave, and, and what he's getting at is not just so much who he is, but who his master is. He was one bought at a price. He was not his own. He was bought by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most life-defining thing about the Apostle Paul that he wanted everyone to know, he was not his own. He'd been secured by the precious blood of Christ. Now, anyone who, who's, who's, who's saved, they know that their purpose is they're called to serve. And so Paul knows that his identity is one of a, a servant, a, a slave. Now, now, you could easily mishear me because when we think of slaves, we have negative connotations. The, transatlant- the 19th century, 18th century transatlantic slave trade the harsh treatment, the forced submission, subjugation of peoples. But when Paul says he's a slave here, he's not saying that his relationship with Jesus is anything like that. This wasn't forced submission. This was glad, humble, joyful submission. Paul, it's fascinating, in the, in the letter of Romans... He'll speak about once being slave to sin, but now we're slaves of righteousness. In fact, the the dominant image that Paul opts for in the book of Romans to describe the Christian's relationship with God is one of family. Romans chapter 8 verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The first thing Paul wants these Christians in Rome to know about him is that he belongs to Jesus, his Lord his master, his elder brother, one he lives in glad and humble submission to. Second thing that Paul says in this introduction is regarding his office, Paul called to be an apostle. To be an apostle. Called to be an apostle. It's passive here. Paul didn't decide to be an apostle. He didn't apply to be an apostle. There wasn't an advert 
In the Jerusalem Times, it said apostles needed. Sign up here. Paul became an apostle when he was on his way to Damascus, when he was breathing out murderous threats, and Christ Jesus, the risen Christ, stopped him in his tracks and changed his life forever. At the moment of his conversion, he also received his calling. He was going to be an instrument sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to bring the gospel of God to the Gentiles. So often in church, like it may happen tonight, if, if we've never met before, I'll, I'll ask, so tell me a bit about yourself and tell me what, what is it you do? If you were to ask Paul that same question, he would say, Paul, belong to Jesus. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. I've been sent by Jesus with his authority to communicate his message to the people he's appointed me to. Now, now we, we, we can't miss this. When Paul speaks of his office here, he's telling us that he has heaven's authority, heaven's approval. You might go home tonight and you, you could open your fridge, open your cupboard, and you can pick up some products, and on the back of them, you'll see a royal stamp. And that product will have this stamp because it's a product that either Her Late Majesty the Queen, Duke of Edinburgh, said they'd delighted to use in their royal households. In many ways, Paul was stamped with the seal of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He came as an ambassador with the ambassador's message, the gospel of God. And the reason that's so significant is because everything written in this letter is not Paul's opinion. Now, these are the very words of God. They come with heaven's authority. He speaks God's message for God's people. To ignore what Paul says in this letter is to ignore God's word, opinion, and at our own peril. So Paul says, who he is, who his master is, what his office is. The first thing he tell, the third thing he tells us is his purpose. Set apart for the gospel of God. He's a messenger. He's appointed with a special task of proclaiming and explaining the good news of God's intervention in Jesus Christ. He's singled out, separated by God for serving the gospel. Everything in his life was secondary. This was primary. The gospel of God. Now, when Paul says at the end there, the gospel of God, he's saying something really significant. This gospel, yes, is about God. It's about his holiness, his love, his wrath, his righteousness. But what Paul is stressing to us in this statement, the gospel of God, is that God is the source of the gospel. 
that God is the author and the architect of this message. The gospel is God's solution to mankind's great dilemma. Only God could have come up with this. To send his one and only son into this world to rescue us, to be born of a virgin, to live under the law, to live in perfect obedience with the law that you and I have broken day after day. To go to the cross, to be lifted up to die, to bear in his body the wrath of God for our sins, taken down from the cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, ascend to the right hand of God the Father, so that whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. Only God could have come up with this. The source of the gospel is God. And that means to reject the gospel is to reject God. And that means to accept the gospel is to receive God. One of the things that Paul understood is that no one can tamper with this message, tweak this message, improve this message, add to this message. This is God's message. So we get the man. We discover that he's the messenger of the gospel. Now, now we said this in our introduction. One of the things quite striking about Romans chapter 1 is that Paul's so eager to preach the gospel to the Christians in Rome. He says that those very words himself. Eager to preach the gospel. Well, he gets to verse 2, and as he's speaking about the gospel of God, that's exactly what he starts doing. He starts proclaiming and explaining the good news regarding Jesus Christ. So look at verse 2. The gospel of God which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The first thing Paul wants you and I to know and these Roman Christians to know about the gospel is that it is not a new idea. It's not, it's not a new message that came in the times of the, the New Testament days. No, the gospel is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. The gospel message was promised by the prophets of old. It's not an afterthought. It's the culmination of God's plan of salvation. From Genesis to Malachi, the gospel is everywhere. The first announcement, the first proclamation of the gospel is Genesis 3.15. The seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. The proto-evangelion. Evangelion. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to David, prophet after prophet to Israel proclaimed the message of the gospel. In fact, one of the most striking things about Paul is in this letter, he, he stresses the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You won't be able to understand the gospel if you don't understand the Old Testament. In verse 17, right, of this letter, he affirms that salvation is by faith alone. But do you know where he gets that from? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous shall live by faith as it is written. The Old Testament gospel is the New Testament gospel. There is only one gospel, and it runs from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. 
So the first thing the Paul wants these Roman Christians and us to know is that this gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The second thing he wants us to know about the gospel is regarding, is it as a gospel concerning God's Son. The substance of the gospel is the Son of God. John Calvin says, the whole gospel is found in Jesus Christ. It's contained in Jesus Christ. Now what Paul does in, in these verses here, in, in verses um, 3 and, and 4, is that he, he highlights both the deity and the humanity of Christ. When, when Paul starts thinking about the gospel, he starts thinking about the person who lies at the very heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And, and what we, you and I need to understand about Jesus Christ is that he is the son of the living God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the one who's co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. He's just as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But what we also need to understand is the humanity of the Son of God. He was born. Just think about that. The eternal Son of God without beginning was born in the fullness of time. Born of a virgin to be like us yet so unlike us. Because he was without sin. He was of the lineage. He was of the line of David. He's a fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's a son who reign on David's throne forever. Jesus is the God-man, truly God, truly man. Now, now, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why is that significant to the gospel? Jesus was truly God and truly man. In order to be our mediator. You know what a mediator is? Someone who stands between two parties who have had a falling out or who are at enmity with one another or who are at war with one another. And in order to make reconciliation, a mediator has to be equal to both sides. There can be no partiality toward either side. So Jesus had to be truly God if he was to represent God to us. Jesus also had to be truly man if he was to represent us to God. No one else could have stood between God and the human race and mediate reconciliation other than the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 4, he was declared the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. The ultimate validation, the ultimate vindication of Jesus as the Son of God is... His resurrection from the dead. You know, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we're wasting our time tonight. We are of all people in this world to be pitied. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that means that he's declared to be the Son of God. Just notice Paul's last four words in, the, in that verse. He takes the time, right, to, to give all the names of Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Why, was Jesus, why is Jesus called Jesus? Because he shall save his people from his sins. Why is Jesus called Christ? Because he's anointed one. Anointed with the Holy Spirit to bring about the enterprise of salvation. Why is Jesus called Lord Adonai? Because he's a sovereign one who rules and reigns over everything. Paul says, you want to know the gospel? You want to know who lies at the heart of the gospel? It's the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the one who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice to reconcile sinful man with holy God. As we, as we take these truths in, this is, this is glorious. This is mind-blowing. For you and I to be saved, it had to be the Son of God taking upon himself flesh to make us one with God. We've seen the source of the gospel. We've seen who lies at the heart of the gospel, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what we receive through him. Verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The word through. What does that capture or convey to you? Through. He's the means. He's the channel. Then he says, through him. It's a personal pronoun. It's, It's Jesus we're talking about. Through him, we have received grace. One of the things that Paul, as he, as he begins this, this introduction, he's so keen for these Christians in Rome to understand is that at the heart of the gospel we receive in Christ grace. Grace lies at the heart of the gospel. We did not earn this. We did not deserve this. We did not merit it. But we received it through Christ. Salvation. God's undeserved love and favor. But but that's not the whole story to grace. It's grace that saves, grace that sanctifies, it's grace that sustains, it's grace that strengthens. God's grace defines the Christian life. That's one of the things that Paul understood. Read through all of Paul's letters and see how much, how much he talks about it. He is what he is because of the grace of God. He does what he does because of the grace of God. He was saved by grace. He's sanctified by grace. The Christian life is lived in light of the fact that we receive grace in Christ. The greatest gift you and I have ever received is the gift of salvation in Christ. The whole Christ for the whole Christian life. Then notice that Paul says that the gospel is intended to bring about the obedience of faith. Anyone who comes to faith, what flows from our faith is, 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 is obedience. Obedience to Christ and his sovereign will. Listen to what John writes in his commentary. Paul looked for a total unreserved commitment to Jesus Christ which he called the obedience of faith. This is our answer to those who argue that it's impossible to accept Jesus and yet not submit to him as Lord. True saving faith 
comes under the lordship of Christ. Paul says here that through Christ we receive grace to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, Now notice who it's for. All the nations. All the nations. All peoples need the gospel. You know, today over lunch we're having a discussion and the discussion was really about God providing and meeting us in our material needs. Or giving us, you know, you know, this morning I was preaching on how um, Jesus meets our every need. And someone rightly asked the question, but what about those people that have nothing? Who die of starvation and hunger? Such a good question when we're talking about how the fact that Jesus provides for our every need. You won't fully understand the gospel until you understand that the greatest need of everyone in the world isn't first and foremost food. The greatest need of every single person who has life and breath is for the gospel. It's to be shown grace. Our greatest problem is that we are sinners by nature and by deed and as a result we're under the wrath of God and we need saving. And so Paul says that this gospel is to be proclaimed among the nations, taken to every person of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, now, sometimes when we think of the gospel, we think of the gospel as the message that gets people out of hell and gets people into heaven. And that's where we stop. But the gospel, as Paul will show in this letter, is far more glorious, far more comprehensive. But you've got to understand that at the heart of the gospel is the glory of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. The gospel is for the glory of the son of God. The highest purpose of the gospel is that he be glorified. Is that he be worshipped and adored. He be magnified. You know, sometimes in, in a conversation, and, and, and there's an opportunity perhaps for the gospel. We miss it. And we think to ourselves, you know, missed the opportunity to tell them about heaven or hell. You know what you've missed? The opportunity to glorify Christ. We share the gospel because it's about the magnification and the exaltation of his name. One of the things you, you understand when you read through Romans is that it's all, the gospel is all about God being praised. Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 is all about the gospel, but it ends in doxology. All the depths and the wisdom of our God. So we've looked at the man, we've looked at his message. This is just the beginning, but but let's just wrap this up and look at how Paul gives them gospel greetings in verse 7. Only now does he, 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 his recipients come into view to those to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how you know you've got the gospel. You know who you are. And what do you know about yourself? You're loved by God. See, when you understand that at the heart of the gospel is his son taking upon himself flesh, living, dying, being raised, enthroned at the right hand of God, all of that speaks to us of the incredible love of God for us sinners. And Paul says to these Christians in Rome, he says, you want to know your identity? You are loved by God. You're the beloved of God. That is who you are. And then he says to them, and you're called to be saints. Called to be holy. In the New Testament, all believers are saints. All the believers are considered holy. And yet, brothers and sisters, we look at our own lives and we don't feel holy. But that is who you are. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. You're loved by God. You're holy before God. Being, whole, being made more and more holy. The process of sanctification, which Paul will unpick this letter. And then Paul just to, to showcase, to show off in his gospel greeting. And says, by the way, guys, grace to you and peace. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not blessed enough by the love of God and your identity is the holy ones of God, Paul says, my prayer is that God would multiply his grace to you and you would know the peace of God. These are the blessings that flow from the gospel, from the Father, through the Son, Applied by the Holy Spirit, God's grace and God's peace. And so, as we as we kick off this letter, as we begin this letter, as we embark on this series, let's just note that in this opening sentence, Paul manages to say who he is, what his message is all about, and who he's writing to. And in all of that, Paul helps us, those of us who are Christians, understand who we are, what we are about, what our purpose is. And if you're here this evening, you're not yet a Christian. Paul also has presented before you what you're called to believe in. The message you are to be. If you receive Christ, you receive salvation. If you reject Christ, It is to your peril. And so for his name's sake, the call tonight is respond by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this glorious introduction, this glorious gospel greeting. Lord, our minds can scarcely take it in. Lord, as we've been reminded tonight of Paul and his identity, would you remind us in a world that is so often caught up about thinking about people's identity, would you remind us tonight of our identity?
in Christ. Would you remind us of all of our blessings in Christ? All that we have in Christ. Would you remind us tonight that the gospel is for the nations, all the nations, all the peoples? That gospel is the greatest need of all peoples? And would you remind us and, and send us from here with this, the, the motivation to proclaim the gospel for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. God, lift our view, deepen our understanding, convict us, and then we pray that by your Spirit you would send us from here to go and live out the glorious gospel of our God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.